Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Ryan. It's been a while since you've heard from me here, but in a moment, we will bring you a brand new Thunder Bay story, Postmortem. Building on our work with the first two podcast seasons and then our Thunder Bay TV series, we now have a major step forward in our investigation into why so many Indigenous lives end violently and without explanation in this one Ontario town. From the start, our ability to shine a light on all of this came directly from listeners like you, supporting Canada Land. And today, before sharing this next chapter, I am asking you to become one of the people who make investigations like this possible. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in the show notes. You will get ad-free versions of this series and all of Canada Land's podcasts. But most importantly, you will fuel the discovery and publication of truths this country needs to hear. Canada Land is in the final hours of its annual crowdfunding campaign. If you want to hear more investigations like this one, now is the time to help. canadaland.com slash join. Thanks. A few months back, we received an interesting news tip. It was an email from a whistleblower. This person was alerting us urgently to huge problems that were going unreported that they felt were afflicting the coroner system in Ontario. It's not a system that we've ever looked at before. But as we spoke to this source and went through their materials and got deeper and deeper into this, we realized that we have been covering this story for years. We were just never looking at it this particular way. For over five years, Canada Land has been investigating Thunder Bay, Ontario. Specifically, we have been trying to figure out why so many Indigenous lives end early and violently and mysteriously in this one Ontario town. And to figure that out, we have looked at the cops, we have looked at the schools, we have looked at the courts, we've looked at government, we've looked at the people in the town itself. But we never looked at the coroners. And once we started to do so, more and more was revealed through freedom of information requests and through leaked reports that no other newsroom in this country has seen. And so we went back. For over six months, Canada Land has had three journalists digging in to this story. In a moment, Ryan McMahon, John Thompson, and Shuri Sutrin bring you part one of a two-part series, Thunder Bay, Postmortem. Wait for it. A warning for listeners. This piece deals with investigations into the deaths of Indigenous people, including children. Please take care when listening. There's a fairly young woman who died in the presence of her husband. 
and he's distraught and all but the constable's yeah yeah it's all natural you know no. so i show up and sure enough i was uh very suspicious turned out that uh, she had taken a drug overdose but again it came down to well did the husband actually do this drug overdose and i had seized the house so the only time in my career i seized the house detectives were not called despite my asking and so they met me though i was a, one of the few autopsies i've gone to in person as well then the detectives were there at the autopsy and they said well look how how big she is she's so overweight she's died of heart disease i go no no it's not going to be heart disease and it wasn't uh, and then they were really freaked out because they said oh my god we released the house so they lost all the evidence. How did they release the house if you told I them to hold no it? I have no idea. I had, the, I had the warrant and all. I reported that in up the chain, but you don't know where it goes, right? So uh, that was not proper. And, you know, and really, when I walked away from that scene, I do to this day think that the husband did this. That should have been dealt with. That's not appropriate. Hey, Sharice. Hey, Ryan. So that clip we just listened to is my worst nightmare. What do you mean by that? Well, those people you just heard were real coroners talking about the relationship between cops and coroners, how one can't do the job properly without the other. They hold different pieces of the puzzle. And while they're not talking about Thunder Bay, the fact of the matter is in Thunder Bay, there's been so many sudden deaths. And coroners aren't always attending these kinds of sudden death scenes. And I'm terrified that this kind of thing happens all the time. And it's just my worst nightmare. So what you're saying is if the coroners aren't on scene, a lot can be missed. Yeah. And one of those people you just heard from was Dr. Jeannie Walton. And Walton is the person that sent me the tip. It reads, I would be very interested in having a discussion with you, Re, the many failures of the coroner system in Thunder Bay, as well as in other indigenous communities. This is from an actual coroner. They're also the chair of the Ontario Coroners Association. It just made me feel sick to my stomach. And not knowing what coroners have missed by not attending the scene and feeling like we missed something about this story that was right in front of us the whole time, it just keeps me up at night. Yeah, I remember you telling me this, and this is exactly what got me started in, in being interested in this whole story. So I'm not in Thunder Bay, but on my end, I had been hearing strange things about the Ontario Coroner Service and Forensic Pathology. Uh, those are the two major bodies that oversee death investigations. Like, there was this story about why the Hamilton Forensics Lab closed. Hamilton used to have its own forensics lab, a pretty big facility actually. But in 2019, it was closed and all autopsies were going to be shipped to Toronto and back. And what was weird was that while the government said this was to save on cost, medical experts had come forward at the time, alleging it was actually due to dissent against the chief pathologist happening at the lab. Yeah, actually, around that time of the closing, there was a murder here in Hamilton where because the body had to be moved to Toronto for the autopsy, the police couldn't deem it a murder or press charges. They issued a pair of press releases going into the weekend that basically said there'd been a murderer on the loose for four days. So there is a potential murderer running around. Yeah, the police apparently had to wait those four days for the autopsy results to confirm a murder before starting the investigation. Yeah, that's wild. But actually, that's just one of many strange things coming out about the people involved 
in the province's death investigation system. Remember the first conversation we had, we were starting to think that the story we were looking at and the Thunder Bay story could be connected. Yeah, like if death investigations were in such a bad state in Thunder Bay, could that be an indication of bigger problems happening across the rest of the province? Yeah, or vice versa. And I do what I always do when I have questions about Thunder Bay, and I call John Thompson. John was already on a whistleblower, a former forensics cop named LaPere. John tells me this guy comes from a legacy police family and that the guy is mouthy. He's been inside these death investigations and he has concerns. A lot of times the body will be up on the riverbank, maybe partially still in the water because guys don't want to move them too much, right? So you're doing your exam right on the edge of the water. It becomes routine. The more it happens, I don't want to say there's complacency, but, you know, if you're doing a million of these calls, it's going to get sloppy. Like, it's just, it's human nature, I think. Forensics cops are kind of like the guys you see on CSI. They show up at the scene of a suspicious sudden death, and usually they secure the scene before the coroner arrives. So, what's your name and position? Jesse LaPere. I was a city cop, Thunder Bay City Police. Uh, I was hired 2007. I left last September, 2022. In 2021, half of those who died suddenly in Thunder Bay were flown to Toronto for post-mortem services. In 2022, it was up to two-thirds. It cost the police 300 grand in overtime alone. Why are we doing that? Toronto has a team of forensic pathologists who can review cases together whether because they have a CT scan, an MRI, all these things dedicated to the autopsy suite where Thunder Bay doesn't. To even get an x-ray, they've got to wheel in an x-ray machine into the autopsy suite and, and do it there, where Toronto, before I even get near the body, they've done scans, they've done you know MRIs, the CT scans, and that's without even uh, opening the cadaver bag. That's how good it is there, right? It's a state-of-the-art facility, Huge ceilings, skylights, viewing bays, multiple autopsies going on at once. Retinal scan when you go in, it is state of the art. And how do we how do we juxtapose that to <laughs> what we have in Thunder Bay? Uh, there's no comparison. It's in a basement. There's no windows, no natural light, limited cooling areas for bodies, as if there might not be more than six or eight dead bodies in a matter of a week in Thunder Bay. You know, there's rust in areas, things a lot of times don't work. It's obviously heavily used, but uh, yeah, it's subpar. If the basement at the Thunder Bay Hospital is as rotten as LaPere says it is, it might sound like flying Northwestern Ontario is dead to receive post-mortem service at a billion-dollar facility in Toronto is a good thing. But here's what gets left behind. First of all, shipping bodies out is orders of magnitude more expensive. Secondly, particularly Indigenous people have cultural practices around viewing the deceased. And most importantly, flying them out takes days, holding up everything from police investigations while they have to hold the scene to the communications problems between police and coroners that we know have caused these investigations to fail. Thunder Bay Council and the cops were both calling for provincial investment in a standalone forensic pathology unit. 
So talk about how you get there. What is involved for you when a body is shipped from Thunder Bay uh, down south? You don't physically sit with the body. Body goes under seal uh, under the plane. You go regular commercial flight. You go to the hotel. It's usually the next morning. Spend the night in the hotel. Wake up, get a cab to the autopsy suite. Body's waiting for you there. They've probably already done those CT and MRI scans. And then the autopsy commences. You do your thing. Then you leave. You have to take all the property back with you. So this is personal choice. Um, I like to keep it with me. So I try and put it in a carry-on if it's not too much. Some people like to bring a big Pelican case, put it on a walk and check their bag. I've had too many bags lost with flying, especially out of Pearson, <laughs> that I would I don't feel comfortable with that, right? So if I'm sitting next to you on the plane, I'm seated next to you randomly, I'm sitting next to a bag of homicide evidence. And- homicide evidence. Right in my carry-on. I mean everything's in bags, under seal, everything's packed and like, you know. But that's the reality of those logistics, right? It's usually mostly clothing and personal effects, but if, if they're a victim of a, a violent crime, right? All their clothing's probably got blood. If they drowned, all their stuff's soaking wet, right? It is vital that I get that back to the lab and get it in a dryer and not a typical dryer, like an actual hang it up drying chamber, right? Before, if it's bloody, that, that can start to mold within a day or two, right? So flight gets canceled many times. You get to the airport, 10 o'clock flight at night because autopsy runs till say five. You never know if you're gonna make it for the earlier flight, so you take a 10 o'clock flight. I sat on the tarmac for two hours once in a plane. Now midnight, they tell us that the window for their crew is too long. They've been, can't do this over 16 hours. Turn us around, get us out of the plane. Gotta go to customer service, get our vouchers for our hotel, get our flights for the next day. Get to the hotel about three in the morning, right? Just to go back to the airport the next day uh, for another 10 p.m. flight. And this whole time you have evidence with you. There is time sensitive items. First, it was complex sudden death cases that were going to Toronto. Then suddenly it was all autopsies. The Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Centre has confirmed it will stop performing forensic autopsies in June. The announcement means that all postmortems involving potentially suspicious deaths will have to be conducted in Toronto. The team comes from Toronto for just a couple of days a month. Even then, the complex cases are still going down south. Why? I asked, but the hospital won't do interviews or even let me look at the facilities. So I filed freedom of information requests. For those at home who don't regularly file freedom of information requests, let me tell you, this can go one of several ways. I may or may not get my hands on who's saying what to whom. That's if they wrote any of their reasoning down. Government is also allowed to redact information, and this can drag on for months. It's the only shot our team has to figure out who ordered what and why. Local coroners as well as investigators, fail to understand their respective roles or even share a common understanding of those roles. Investigators regularly fail to connect their autopsy report to their own investigations. On multiple occasions, we saw that investigations failed to even find out 
the results of the autopsy, or fail to understand the significance or lack of significance of the autopsy findings. For example, officers concluded that death by drowning meant that the death was innocently caused, rather than investigating how the deceased came to be in the water. That was Jerry McNeely presenting the Broken Trust Report he wrote for the Office of the Independent Police Review Director in 2018. He found systemic racism at an institutional level in the Thunder Bay Police. I found that deficiencies in how the Thunder Bay Police was investigating indigenous southern deaths were so problematic that I have recommended at least nine of these cases should be reinvestigated by a multidisciplinary team. These reinvestigations meant that case files would be pulled up again, witnesses interviewed, evidence examined, families brought through another formal police process, years after the cases were closed. But some of these cases had already been re-examined in the seven youth inquests that happened just a couple years before. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to give you a few examples because it's important that you understand how egregious these cases are. But... These are real people who died horrifically. Those who loved them were denied answers. And this is a small city. The hurt in Thunder Bay still hangs in the air. A woman was found outside in winter, her clothing wet. Fresh injuries were found by hospital staff. A witness who was on the offender database said they were with her the night she died. A high school student who had been missing was found in the river with suspicious marks on his legs. The autopsy conducted did not appear to investigate the cause of the injuries. In each of these cases, the death was ruled accidental or police reported no foul play. So what happened to those cases that were reinvestigated? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pretendians is brought to you by BetterHelp. Angel. You seem a bit stressed. Do you have anything you want to get off your chest? Anything you're bottling up? I mean, compared to some of the people on the show, I'm good. But of course, like most people, I do carry around a lot of worries and anxieties. I'm this mom who goes around and works her tail off and I do the carpooling because the teenagers don't want to drive. I think I'm just overextended and that people don't really appreciate me sometimes. I appreciate you. Thank you, Robert. Well, talking about this stuff seems to help, and not everyone has a podcast where they can work through it. So that's why there's therapy, like BetterHelp. Angel, have you tried therapy? I'm a huge fan of therapy, actually. Some of the things that have helped me really keep all these plates spinning are the coping skills and strategies that I have to deal with stress, like setting good boundaries or knowing when to say no and all of those things um, I wasn't able to do before therapy. If you want to experience the benefits of therapy without the hassle of trying to find your own therapist, check out BetterHelp. It's been used by over 3 million people worldwide and it's available in the US and Canada. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, 
BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash pretendians. That's betterhelp.com slash pretendians. It speaks volumes that it was not the coroner's office that instigated any type of review of the sudden deaths that were happening in Thunder Bay. It speaks volumes that it was identified by the chief coroner and acknowledged that there were significant and serious issues with communication with Thunder Bay police, that this had been an issue. This is Caitlin Casper a lawyer with Aboriginal Legal Services in Toronto and a legal representative of three of the nine families whose loved ones' deaths are being reinvestigated. We are coming at potentially dozens and dozens of deaths, sudden deaths, that the coroner's office has had a hand in and played a role in just as much as the police in terms of their involvement with the deceased. What was your initial reaction to that news that reinvestigations were going to take place inside the city of Thunder Bay? I was never completely confident that the reinvestigation was going to be successful. I was heartened that it was going to be a multi-agent terms of reference and that there were going to be lots of parties supposedly involved. A high-profile team was built to conduct the reinvestigations. Five Thunder Bay cops, Ontario cops, the chief coroner, a renowned judge. After a number of processes had already failed families in Thunder Bay, Casper was right to be skeptical. How would this be any different? Is there precedent for a, like a multi-agency reinvestigation process like this? For the life of me, I do not understand why Thunder Bay police have been given so many chances and so much resuscitation at life. For me, most reinvestigations are done utilizing another police service, which is absolutely what should have happened here. The fact that all levels of government came in, experts in their field came in to attempt to breathe life back into a police force that we know should have died decades ago is absolutely beyond me. Then the global COVID-19 pandemic hit. Everything stopped everywhere. For months, families waited. Understandably, investigations ground to a halt. We understood clearly the impact that COVID would have on the reinvestigation. And so it was shocking to hear that they were close to concluding because none of our families had been interviewed yet by the blended investigation team. What was happening from day one of the reinvestigations to June 2021? I can summarize it clearly with nothing. June 7th, 2021. The families called a press conference. Uh, good afternoon. Alongside Jonathan Rudin, we act as legal counsel for the families of Jethro Anderson, Jordan Lawbass, and Kyle Morrisot. 
Today, we are here to express our loss of confidence in the management of Project Broken Trust and grave concern for the legitimacy of any final report released by this project moving forward. When Project Broken Trust was announced, we communicated the important nature of this relationship to the investigative team because this would be the third reinvestigation experienced by the families and the second that we would be present for with them. It is nothing short of baffling that to Aboriginal Legal Services how the creation of a three-tiered, multi-agency, robust framework with so many apparent checks and balances has managed to once again be inadequate and ineffective Just weeks after this press conference, all of the Thunder Bay police members were pulled off the reinvestigations. Ontario's chief coroner, Dirk Hoyer, ended the process. Hoyer confirmed to us in the spring of 2023 that the final report on the reinvestigations would never be released to the public. And there's no follow-up. We still haven't seen the reports. What happened here? The head of forensic pathology in Ontario, Dr. Michael Polanin, and Dirk Hoyer wouldn't give us an interview. So we don't have the reinvestigation report. And the guys in charge who stopped that report getting to the public won't talk to us. But we do have an officer who conducted actual reinvestigations for that report. John's whistleblower, Jesse LaPere. How's it going? Good, yeah. I'm all right. Right on. Um, you want to take a ride? Old yeah. fashioned, like, ride along? Yeah, yeah, we'll go for a ride and right. uh, we'll check out some places. Alright, let's do this. Okay. So, the, the reinvestigations, how did you manage to end up on that team? I think, I think at the time, um, I was one of the more experienced forensic uh, officers in, in, in the unit. Uh, I did have, there's definitely some questions about why we're reinvestigating our own cases. Um, yeah. You know, if, if someone else prior to me did the investigation from the same service with the same policies, the same training and same resources, why or how would I be doing it any different or better, right? And so what did you do? Um, I went back with them to a lot of the scenes, uh, re-photographed, did video, and, and discussed what kind of technologies and, and resources we had, um, you know, that, that we didn't have at the time or we didn't do at the time. So, like, one of the bigger ones was uh, the outdoor scenes. We now have a drone, and we have officers trained in, in operating them. What were you given the impression that the best case scenario was or a realistic case scenario was that could come out of this? Maybe we'd come up with something. Maybe we'd find something. Maybe a witness, an extra witness would come forward. And, uh, you know, anything, anything new would have been a positive. Did you find anything new? Um, I don't, th- you know... I don't, know, I don't know where I'm allowed to speak on the specifics or not, but... Um, well, there's a number of different cases. Like, you don't have to tell me anything specific. Was there anything that you found at all, forensically, that you were like, this is new information? 
No. There is there is evidence that was interpreted differently, but I don't think that uh, there is anything brand new found, in my opinion. What's going to change? And why? Why would anything change? While John was tracking down info with LaPere in Thunder Bay, Charisse finally was able to meet our original source of the tip, Dr. Jeannie Walton, a coroner in Niagara. We all know the CSI tropes. Investigators descending on a crime scene in suits, in sunglasses, high-tech forensic labs. But of course, TV isn't real life. I wanted to understand what exactly a coroner actually did. And I wanted to meet the person who sent us that original email. Dr. Jeannie Walton invited me to visit her. So I got on a train and headed up to her place. Many coroners work from home and wait to be called into a scene. Sometimes a shift is stacked with back-to-back cases, or there's nothing. It kind of depends whether anyone dies that day. I met Walton at her house, and then we drove over to a local cafe to meet her friend and fellow coroner, Nick Kubarovic. I asked them, what exactly does a coroner do anyway? To put it in the simplest terms, we have to answer five questions. So, who died? How did they die? Where did they die? By what means? And when? Those are the five basic questions that we are trying to answer. And we do that by examining scenes, examining bodies, examining medical records, talking to families or other witnesses or other friends or other people who might have some information that they can provide us with. And we're trying to investigate only certain particular types of deaths, whether it's homicide, suicide, accidents, undetermined causes, but mostly undetermined ones and wind up to be natural in the long run. Coroners work with forensic pathologists who are mostly based out of labs or hospitals. Coroners send bodies to be examined and request lab testing. So forensic pathologists work with us and basically they are who we consult. Their specialty is doing autopsies. It's still up to the coroner to finalize that cause of death and the manner of death. That responsibility is on us. In Ontario, coroners are medical doctors, and a lot of them are actually former physicians, like Kubrovic. Walton and Kubrovic aren't just coroners, they're also the president and board member of the Ontario Coroners Association, which is a new would-be union for coroners across Ontario. And I say would-be because coroners aren't actually allowed to unionize under provincial law. Like medical doctors, they're also contractors to the province. And currently, Jeannie and several other members are challenging that law in Ontario court. This whole thing might seem a bit off-topic from our story. But the reason the OCA is trying to unionize connects back to the quality of death investigations that families will receive in Thunder Bay and across the province. The union drive, it's trying to preserve uh, what we knew of a fantastic system in the past. And just watching it deteriorate, just like I had to watch family medicine deteriorate. And I'm seeing it again. The Ontario Coroners Association says there has been a substantial increase in costs to the system, but a decrease in quality of services, like longer wait times for autopsies. They say that this frustration has led to many experienced coroners leaving the service, meaning many more cases are handled remotely, or by nurses who 
who are increasingly taking on parts of the job coroners have traditionally done. They've made it almost impossible to spend the amount of time needed to spend in certain cases. So I will give you a prime example. I was at a scene the other day for four and a half hours because things just were not adding up. Drive home, that's five and a half hours. I now have to write that case up and do the warrants. You're looking at another two hours. That's seven hours. What if I get three more cases, four more cases? How many hours are there in a day? So what happens? I am following up to get certain things done and I'm home half an hour and I get called for another case in the exact opposite end of the region. Jeannie says the number of cases coroners have taken on has led to their increased use of remote investigations. That is, when coroners don't attend scenes, but call officials on the ground to have the scene described to them. These are more common in northern or remote areas, like in Thunder Bay, but Walton said they've been on the rise across the province. So there's a reason we do the job we do, and it's not people that don't have the knowledge and training that we have, right? Thunder Bay is a prime example of why we should attend the scenes, but they've made it almost impossible to do that. Yeah. And I keep saying it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I wish I could yeah. figure out it better, but you know, the, they make it so bad, so we lose coroners, so then they have to hire nurses, and they, it's yep. a vicious yep. circle. <laughs> yep. Can attract people, don't make it more lucrative or more interesting to get involved in. I asked them what they thought about the closure of the Thunder Bay Forensics Facility. Our transportation costs are now going to be the most expensive part of the death investigation system by far. And it's unnecessary and it's a waste of money. Why should a family in Thunder Bay have to wait two weeks to get the body back for funeral arrangements? It's lip service, right? It's lipstick on a pig. So why are all these changes happening? Have they been at the direction of the chief coroner, Dirk Hoyer? Kuberovic said that Hoyer might just be following orders from the province. He was my regional supervising coroner one time, and I loved the guy. Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, I do think that he's stuck in a very tough situation of having to be political, not just as a, you know, being a physician and uh, protecting the system as we might see fit as physicians. I think he has to do what the politicians are, are forcing on him. One thing I was curious about was how the various roles involved in death investigations work together, like forensics, police, coroners, by the time the coroner comes in, if they are called at all, any number of things could happen. And what if one of those systems is failing? What if they all are? I'm just thinking how really we are a parallel investigation system. Um, we're not here supposedly to lay blame, but a lot of what we then have to rely on, we don't have the resources to do a police investigation. We have to rely on the police to do it. If they tell us, oh yes, we found we found all this evidence of this being a suicide. It's very difficult to say, well, no, you're lying to us. And that gets tricky when a police service has been found by a provincial watchdog to be systemically racist, like with the Thunder Bay police. So if you have a racist police force, as my understanding is Thunder Bay has been shown to be, that's problematic and that's why you need coroners at scenes because 
that is part of our job is oversight into these types of things, right? We're the ones that call out when things are not being done properly. We're the ones shining that light onto that. Meanwhile, we'd hit the jackpot on the FOI request to get to the bottom of why the Thunder Bay Forensics Lab was shut down. We filed four Freedom of Information requests. Three hit dead ends. After 90 days, the last one came in. It was worth the wait. Yeah, so what was in it? The first thing we uncovered is how Ontario's pathology lead, Dr. Michael Polanin, was leading the discussion on the creation of full post-mortem lab in Thunder Bay since 2017. That's a year before anyone formally recommended it. Hmm, That's weird. I remember you saying that there was only a small unit in the hospital that handled post-mortem services. Yes. So this would be a new complex, much, much better facility. Right. So what happened? Everything slammed to a halt four months before the 2018 election. Palanin says the government's in caretaking mode and there's nothing that can be done until a new government comes in. The PCs were elected in June and then the tracks just kind of end on the whole conversation. So that leaves Thunder Bay with just the hospital facility, which they already said wasn't enough. We can see through these documents that Thunder Bay's hospital felt it was in crisis. The leadership, all the way up to Palanin, was worried that the grieving family members would take the service failures to the media and the pressure that that would put on the system. So leaving it the way it was became plan A. Their plan then was to do nothing. Their plan was to let it rot on the vine. We can see here that in 2021, Ontario offered the hospital only $50,000 to run this service for all of Northwestern Ontario. That's about $400 a body, and it hasn't seen an increase since 2007. And shipping each body to Toronto and back, this is shipping costs alone now, costs $6,000. So 6,000 times 262 bodies last year, we spent more than 1.5 million, 30 times more than Ontario was prepared to pay to keep services open in Thunder Bay. Jesus Christ. On the hospital's letterhead, you can see this here, we have senior management saying they can't do this for 400 bucks a body. As far as they're concerned, Ontario can keep their money. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, why would they do that? It was clearly about the money. The hospital says these services, quote, put tremendous pressure on staff, capacity, and resources at a time when the healthcare system is under immense pressure and will be for the foreseeable future. But Ryan, it's equally clear that they knew that this was going to look really bad. In emails, Polanin is concerned about responding to media inquiries and public pressure. Dr. Polanin sums it up like this. Quote, my own view is that we cannot be perceived to be wholly withholding services to the community, particularly Indigenous families who already have a disproportionate set of conditions against them at the time of an untimely death. So what you're saying is, is that the chief forensic pathologist for Ontario appears to have known about the need to make death investigations better for Indigenous families and 
agrees there should be a new facility in the Northwest. And then just suddenly the plan is off and he's worried about how it all looks instead. Well, it's exactly what it looks like. It's service cuts in how Ontario investigates death, even in Thunder Bay, where the racist dysfunction in the system is infamous. Like, where are we supposed to go from here? Coming up next week on episode two of Thunder Bay Postmortem. Everyone failed him. The coroner, the hospital, and the police. There are families waiting for this information. It became full-blown fury at the fact that this was being allowed to happen yet again. Where does that all go? You know, you're making it for nothing if, if the people that are closest to these people that are passing aren't finding the closure. That is your Canada Land. Please join us next week for part two of Thunder Bay Postmortem. If you value this podcast, we need your support right now. Go to canadaland.com slash join. Click on the link in the show notes. The journalism that we invest in in the year ahead depends directly on you supporting us right now. Having journalism in Canada depends on you supporting journalism right now. canadaland.com slash join. Thank you. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLand.com. This episode was reported by Ryan McMahon, John Thompson, and Cherie Sucherin. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by so-called. Additional music by Chris Dirksen. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.